This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We are talking about the Apostle Paul these days and uh, for the next six weeks. And why would we spend so much time talking about this guy named Paul? Well, for one thing, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. And he became the apostle of the church as it moved forward to the Western world. He was the chief architect. He was the guy that God used in a powerful, amazing way. And yet, as we looked at last week, Paul was not, not the guy you would think God could use. In my message last week, I, I really compared him to Osama bin Laden because he was a bad dude. He he consented to the stoning of Stephen. He was about the, the business of persecuting and stamping out Christians. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus with papers to throw more in prison and do, to do whatever he could to destroy this movement when he met Jesus Christ, when he got knocked off his horse, when he had to be led into town blind. And Ananias laid hands on him and said, the Lord Jesus sent me to pray for you, receive the Holy Spirit. And something like scales fell from his eyes. It was a dramatic, transformational event in this guy's life. Saul, his Hebrew name, Paul, his Greek name. And it isn't like God changes personality. He's still an A-type personality. He still can be a bull in a china shop kind of guy. But his whole purpose for living has remarkably changed. And then he goes to Jerusalem. He meets some of the other apostles, some of the other leaders. They stand off. I'm not sure, Osama bin Laden, if you've really been converted to the faith. I'm not sure about this. A guy named Barnabas encouraged them to, to say, this guy really is legit. And then he disappears for three years in the wilderness, in the desert. We don't even hear from him. He's kind of there in Tarsus, learning more from Jesus Christ in a personal way. And then he reappears in the story that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 11. Before we get there, I've got to tell you this story about this guy that was dying of cancer. And as he's dying of cancer, his last request is, I want to have six Kansas City Chiefs serve as pallbearers. And family think this is really a weird, strange request. Why? Six Kansas City Chiefs serving as pallbearers. And he said, well, I want the Chiefs to let me down one last time. <laughs> now, I say that as a Chiefs fan. I remember the first Super Bowl. I remember Green Bay and the Chiefs playing. I remember the year 1970 when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And they've not done very well in the playoffs since. <laughs> they tend to let you down. One of the things I hope for is that Andy Reid will let Alex Smith call some big plays. You got to call some big plays, you got to go big you got to do what you can to leave it on the field. You can't play too conservative and expect to win. You need all the engines running. What I love about the story that we're going to look at today is God is moving, and there's some big plays that's happening in Antioch. 
and there's some audibles that's being called. I mean, God is at move and at work in a powerful way. This is one of my favorite stories of all Scripture, and I hope you love it too. Now, just before we start reading this Scripture, you need to know about these two different churches. There's Jerusalem and there's Antioch. Jerusalem is, as we know, was the capital city of the Jews. But the Jerusalem church is limited in its scope and mission. It's full of Jewish believers. And they believe that really the gospel, the good news of God, is really just for the Jews, just for their ethnicity, just for their faith, just for people that look like them, talk in their language. And so it's limited in scope. And it reminds me of how easy it is for any church that's been around a while to get institutionalized. And we have a way of putting a lid on what God is wanting to do. But Antioch is different. Antioch is this cosmopolitan city maybe a half a million people, third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's a cultural center. There's all kinds of philosophies and faiths and perspectives that's going on there. There's all kinds of people from of ethnicity groups, all kinds of different groupings of people. And so the sky's the limit of what could happen there. And so it's because these, these Christian believers are forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution that Paul helped to create, that they wind up in Antioch, and let's, this is where we jump into the story. Looking at the scripture together in the 11th chapter. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Remember, these Jewish Christians, they think it's only for them. It's only for their people. But there's some people that don't know any better. <laughs> However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turn to the Lord. So the first characteristic that we see that's happening in Antioch is that the power of God is on these people. The Spirit led and the people followed. There were some people that were not Greek speak that were not Jewish. They were Greek speaking. They were of different cultural groups. And they believed in Jesus. And God is raising up these people, this, this amazing movement of God, it's a dynamic that only God can do. God is doing this. It's a new thing. It's a God thing. And incredible things are happening in the sense that people are coming to know God. The Spirit led and the people begin to follow. And this new church, this community of faith is just kind of raised up out of nowhere. Right in the middle of this cosmopolitan city of Antioch. Let's read on and see what happens next. Now, when the church at Jerusalem, you know, the church back at the headquarters, heard what was happening, well, no. 
So they sent Barnabas to check it out. And when he arrived and he saw the evidence of God's blessing, thank God they sent Barnabas. <laughs> he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man. You ever, you ever around people and you just kind of say, man, this, this is good people. These are good people. There's a goodness about certain people. Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. More people brought to the Lord now after Barnabas arrives. And then check out what Barnabas does next. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember Saul, Paul? He, he disappeared. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year. Teaching large crowds of people, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So two more characteristics about the church at Antioch that's amazing. One thing, there's this whole development of spiritual leaders. First, it starts with Barnabas, a good man full of faith, encouraging those who believe, and more people come to believe in Jesus. So there's this dynamic of spiritual leaders. But you know what about Barnabas? He's not only an encourager, he's humble. He recognizes this is above his ability and his capabilities. And so he, went, he goes to Antioch out in the desert to try to find Paul, Saul. And he brings him to Antioch. And, and so together they lead the church. And later on when we read more scripture, we're going to find out that this, this, this leadership culture begins to develop more and more. In fact, there's Simeon who is a black man who becomes a leader at Antioch. And then there's this Greek-speaking dude named Lucius. He becomes one of the leaders in Antioch. And there's a guy named Manian who was a childhood friend of Herod, no less, a Jew. So you've got, you got Africans, you got Greek-speaking people. You've got Jewish people. You've got this growing sense of diversity, of leadership that God is raising up. Wow, this is a good thing. And above all this happening here in this culture of developing leaders, there's a commitment to teaching the faith. Did you notice in the scripture that it says that Paul and Barnabas spent a year teaching the people? You know, sometimes in our own journey with God, we can get excited and we can go really wide, and that's a good thing. We can be out serving and doing good things. But you know, sometimes when we're, we're growing wide, we got to make sure we, we grow deep at the same time. And you see this in businesses and governments and in countries and nations and certainly in the church. Some churches grow really wide. But if they don't have depth, they're going to disintegrate. It seems that this church kind of knows what to do when. They know when to call the audibles. And for a year, they focus on just teaching the faith. You ever feel like sometimes you just need to get down into the meat of the faith and stop eating the fast food junk 
and get down into something that you can really sink your teeth into? Don't you think sometimes, church, we need to grow and be about the business of really learning the faith? Well, let's read on. What happens next? During this time, then, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, so the, the mother church sends more people in. They're good people. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming from the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters. You were calling an audio back there. In Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Now what's going on here? There's a need. The world is experiencing famine. And the people back in Jerusalem are hurting the, the worst, the most. And the people in Antioch, they dip down their pockets and they give what they have. They're a generous church. You, you, know, you, you know when God is doing something in your life, when you recognize that one of the ways in which we're to live out our discipleship is to give. Do you give money? Do you give out of your resources to the purpose of God? They do this. And they send food back to Jerusalem. And not only food, not only just the material resources they can pull together, but they send their very best. They send, who do they send? They send their pastors. They send the top two leaders of the church, Barnabas and Paul. And they're healthy enough, they're not dependent upon these people. They can send these guys on because they're raising up more and more cultures of leaders all the time. Man, they are a church that is responsive to human need and they care about people beyond their walls. Then finally, we read in chapter 13 one more thing about these amazing people in Antioch. So among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Greek-speaking, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, a Jew, and Saul, these leaders. What are they doing? One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And Saul and Barnabas, finally, they're sent out, and they're never going to really be their leaders again. They're going to come back sometimes and check in with them, but they're gone. But here's the point. Here's a church, again, that's continuously being led by the Spirit. They're fasting and praying, fasting and praying. We'll talk a little bit more later about this practice of fasting. But they're waiting on God. They're hearing from God. And they're doing what God wants them to do. I love this story. I love the characteristics of what is true about this Antioch church that becomes the church in the, in the Christian world in the first century. 
I love their spirit. I love what they're about. I love what God was doing. I love Schweitzer. I love the fact that there's some characteristics I see in Antioch that's true in Schweitzer. I see God calling some big plays. And I, I see things happening. And so the same characteristics that I see going on in Antioch are happening here. Let's talk about this. One of the things I see at Schweitzer is that we are a church that has been, we've been led by the Spirit and we followed. So where were you 10 years ago? The great ice storm. Home? Did you have electricity yet? How long were you out? We were out three or four days. How many got generators? We didn't have church for two weeks. But here's what happened in this place. So there was a guy named Ed, Ed Hewlett. He had just retired about a year before, and he was giving all his time to Schweitzer. And he told me, uh, I said, well, Ed, what are you doing now? He said, well, I'm developing this disaster relief ministry. And I'm getting, I'm getting this ready because we just don't know when there's going to be some big event that happens. And you know what happened just suddenly in January? This city was not prepared for that. And so immediately, we had a, up one night we had 150 people in our gymnasium, mainly from Jordan Valley. And for 10 days to two weeks, some of them were still with us. The biscuits and gravy were so good, they did not want to leave. <laughs> I just see that as God leading. And Katrina happened, and we're responsive. And this church in its disaster relief ministry for three or four years was kind of the signature outreach ministry of our church. And we helped other congregations learn this too. I just see that as a God thing. And you know something else we did in 2008? I pulled together about 25 people and we created a Vision 2010 team. And the idea was, what do we want to do? What does God want us to become in 2010? And we had one big question that we looked at in the year 28. The big question was, will we stay put right here on this campus or will we relocate to the east? And we had some property that we were looking at and we, we were expanding, we were growing, we were full. We had uh, dated nurseries and childcare area and so we had only eight acres of land. So the big question was, are we going to stay put in this community or is God calling us elsewhere? And we, we prayed and we were led by the Spirit to stay put. And what happened with that then is, okay, we're going to do it then. We're going to invest in this place. We're going to expand this kids' area. We're going to double this space over here. We're going to upgrade the nurseries. And we're going to open up this outreach center over here. And so we do that in 2009, 2010. What happens in 2000, late 2008? Great recession hits. Income plummets. And so we have a food pantry that's able to be responsive as hundreds of people in this town are laid off of work. And the ministry has continued to grow and expand in so many different ways. And we are strategically located on this place, on these grounds, to serve this neighborhood and this community in dynamic ways. This is a church that follows the Spirit. We make mistakes all the time. Don't get me wrong. 
But I just see God's hand at that, leading and growing and working. Jim Mason one day, Pastor Jim was around Pittman School, and for whatever reason, he, the Holy Spirit would not let him go. He was told by the Spirit to go meet the principal. He had never met her. He walks into Pittman School in the middle of the day and meets Principal Laura. And out of that ministry day, there are five or six significant ministries that we are doing at Pittman School because Jim was obedient to the Spirit, and then other people, and other people, and other people, and other people. So, folks, this is not about doing good things. This is about doing God things. Because if we're just doing good things, it's only going to help so much. But there's a transformative dynamic that's at work because we're people that are led by the Spirit. What else is going on here? Another thing that's happening is we're developing leaders. We've created a culture, what you can call them mentors or champions or friends in faith, whatever you call it. But there's a whole idea that we've got to be mentoring, we've got to be growing other people. We have people shadowing us. We have two apprentices that's working on campus now, one from Missouri State University, one from Evangel University. We have a variety of people in a variety of different ways that are doing one-on-one, whether it's faith and finance, where one person can sit with another person on, on trying to figure out a way of helping this person who has limited income to get on their financial feet. We have uh, jobs for life where there's a champion sitting alongside another person. We have intergenerational mentors where uh, just this week, one person, a, a woman in her 20s, going through a rough spot in her life, uh, she's matching up with a woman that's maybe in her 50s who's gone through some of those rough spa- uh, patches herself years before. They can connect and help, help each other. We, we have to get in the game. And friends, uh, God is just kind of calling us out on this. Every one of us needs to be learning from others and we need to have people be learning from us. New life change plan, whatever it is. Uh, Be a part of that. You know, as a young preacher 30 years ago, I was, I guess it's over 30 years ago. Bill O'Quinn was my mentor. I was his associate pastor for two years. and I learned so much from him. I've I've worked with so many different great, wonderful colleagues of of ministry. Lori Lampert and I had a great sense of teamwork and camaraderie that happened as a dynamic here. Privileged to work with pastors Jason and Jim. Um, This collegiality, this mentorship. Um, I really enjoy my relationship with Jake Hotchkiss. It's that dynamic that's happening all the time and we're about the business the culture of continually develop leaders Um, excited about the green room the college ministry beginning worship here this Wednesday night Uh, just a continuous dynamic that we can be a part of and then there's a sense of teaching the faith you know I just really believe that God is calling us to get deeper Get more serious in our discipleship. One of the things we've been doing recently at Schweitzer has been putting out books. And so like three years ago was the book on prayer, and we had groups about prayer. Two years ago it was Jonah. We had groups about Jonah. Last year was the Holy Spirit. This fall, Pastor Jason is writing a book on Romans. 
That's a real shallow, easy book to read, you know, Romans. So we're calling people to just be a part of classes. Get into the Word. Get below the surface. Go down deep and rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And then other things we're, we're committed to is we want to continuously be responsive to human need. There's so many needs in this community. One of those persons that I want to invite to come up right now with me is Matt Keller-Strauss. And Matt is one of our youth. And uh, Tim Smith recently sent out a group of youth uh, and leaders to go different places in this community to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus, if you will. And so, uh, Matt, uh, tell us about, I don't know if this is on or not. There he is. There we are. Matt, tell us about what you did and what that experience was like. Where did you go? Oh, we went to the Child Advocacy Center, and um, we donated books and stuffed animals to kids in need. So what was that experience like when you were there? What did you see? What did you witness? Uh, I mean, we just got a tour of the building that it was, and it was pretty cool, but we didn't really see any children that we, that we got to donate to, so they just came in after, I think. What did you, what did you bring? Uh, we brought just a bunch of books and stuffed animals, a bunch of boxes of them. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I learned from this after the fact that the Child Advocacy Center serves something like 1,300 children in a year's time in this community that's been abused or abandoned. 1,300. Is there anything uh, just about that experience that propels you in the future or things that uh, you think God is showing you or anything you want to say to that? Well, it's always good to help out, and I think just that experience changed my, like, perspective at everything, and it's always good to do whatever you can to help kids like that. Just a little amount can be better. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate you and what, what you guys were doing with that. Um, you know, it just kind of opens up our eyes, doesn't it? We, we live in a community that's just really reeling. And in some way and somehow, every one of us that's privileged enough to be healthy, spiritually, emotionally healthy, we got to help people. And there are so many youth and young people that have lives devastated through heroin from good families. Good families. This is not just something that's hitting a certain socioeconomic group. This is big-time stuff. And, and I just hope God continues to mess with us. We want to be a church that's responsive to human need. God, what are you calling us to do next? God, what are you calling us to do now? The final thing that I want to say is, it kind of goes back to the start, is that we're a church that's being led by the Spirit and we follow. We had, a, we had a vision team that met Friday. 
with our tribe team, and we had two questions. The questions were, what kind of church does God want us to be in 2020? And what are the steps that God is calling us to do to get there? What's God calling us to do? And in the midst of this, we don't know what all that is, but we're, we're a church that's really seeking to be led by the Spirit. One of the things that I'm doing this year is on Wednesdays I'm fasting. I do not like the discipline of fasting. It's hard for me. But I fast because it's kind of like AM and FM radio. I hear God much better. It's like an FM experience on the times I fast. <laughs> and so on, I commit Tuesday evening after the meal to enter into this 24-hour fast. Breakfast is a meditation on Scripture. So the time that I would be eating breakfast, I'm chewing on the Word. And on lunchtime, I'm in intercessory prayer. I'm listening to God. I'm asking God to direct my life. I'm asking God to direct this church. And I'm praying for a great awakening. I'm praying for God kind of moves, for God to move in a big way. In this church, but not just in this church, in this community, in this nation, in this world. I want to invite you, if you want, to fast on Wednesdays or some other time. Or do some other spiritual discipline that brings you into the presence of God. And helps you to hear and to respond to what God wants you to do. John Wimber was a guy that grew up in Kirksville, Missouri. There's a lot of great people that came out of North Missouri, I'm here to tell you. John Wimber was one of those guys. The Vineyard Church started out of his movement. And he had a saying when people were critical of him or didn't understand or whatever he was about. He had this simple saying. I am just change in the Lord's pocket, and he can spend me any way he wants. I am just change in the Lord's pocket, and he can spend me any way he wants. That's the spirit. That's the attitude that we are called to be. You know, uh, about 10 years ago, I went to Indianapolis, Indiana, and we, while we were there, we, we visited an art museum. And there was this one section of art, it was just dedicated to Western art, uh, the Wild West. And there were all kinds of portraits, paintings of horses and Native Americans and cowboys and buffalo. And there was one artist, he was always on the outside looking in. But there was one artist, everything he painted was from the inside looking out you know when it comes to the movement of God when it comes to the church are you on the outside looking in or are you putting yourself in the middle where you're on the inside you're inside the action itself you're a part of the action Are you in? Are you just on the peripheral, on the fringes? 
Or do you really want to be in? Uh, let's pray, pray just for a moment. Man, you can come on up. But God, I, I just pray that you would speak into our lives right now. Your word is powerful. Your word is compelling. Your spirit is amazing. You are the dynamic. You are in this place. We love you. Thank you so much for what you did at Antioch. And God, we, we, we thank you for what you're doing in and through this church. Help us to understand that church is not a place to go. That we are the church. We are your people. And I pray that you would help each of us, God, to take, take that step toward you and, and to say that we're in. We're in this. Help us, God, to be led by your Spirit, to be hungry for you, to learn the faith, to mentor and to be mentored to, to be responsive to human need, to fast and pray. Help us, God, to be the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I, uh, I'm kind of at a loss for words, just 